Here we are, George, in the Portal 2 episode. Excellent. Good. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's weird. I feel some red fluid trickling down from my ears because I think that the, the Portal device involuntarily uh, removed my ear tubes from my ears. But I, I hear that that's normal. I just need to lie down, assume the party submission position, and we can continue on. I think you might be confusing the uh, resolution to the first problem, probably because of the first problem. <laughs> I, so it's really hard to hear you over all of this blood. What was that? I just hear a constant whooshing. <laughs> it's like it's like listening into a seashell, but all <laughs> but blood, an ocean yeah, of blood. blood. <laughs> Is that? Oh, that's from Trigun. He's like, he's. You never watched all Trigun, did you? No, I've tried. So, so the, there's there. like a a story. There's all these stories about how he's like this terrifying gunman, but actually he's like a big nabby pamby doesn't yeah. doesn't like fighting um and so he's walking down this long hallway where he knows people are waiting to fight him and so he's singing a song about like how he's going to kill them but it's this like jaunty tune and one of <laughs> one of the lines is an ocean of blood <laughs> and like he gets to the end of the hall and they're all still like ready to fight him and he's like damn it <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so on that note oceans of blood you oceans know of blood um, we played Portal 2, as mm-hmm. was foretold. Um, this game, uh, also less recent than you would think, based so we screwed up on how recent Portal 1 was, mm-hmm. and like in the opposite direction, it felt like oh, everybody had to wait a million years for Portal 2, but they didn't. It was four years, it came out uh, April 18th, 2011. So, yeah, that 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 also doesn't feel right. It feels like this game. <laughs> But to be fair, I do know that it's correct because <laughs> I because I've had this this issue a number of times where basically as I was like, oh man, you got you got to play Portal Two, man, you got to play Portal Two, and somebody was like, sure, man, can I pick it up? And I was like, yeah, sure, you you've got a PS4, it's on the PS, no, it's on, it's on the PS3, mm-hmm. you know. And the problem is the PS4 wasn't backwards compatible, so when the PS5 was coming out, I was like, maybe, but you still can't buy it in the store or anything like that. You gotta have to get it on on Steam, like legitimately. So yeah, no, it it came out for the PS3. It's like of Skyrim age and not re-released like Skyrim was. <laughs> Nothing it wasn't broken like Skyrim. Yeah, because it wasn't broken. They made it right the first time. Yeah. Um, what are your new nostalgia goggles for this game? Um, so this is one where definitely I, uh, you know, I, I bought it relatively soon after it came out. Um, and I will, instead of talking too much about that, I will share a specific nostalgia experience that I had with it. Do it. Which be is specific. That, be scientific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, if, if we're not, if, people, if people's lives aren't at stake, is it even science? Um, so, uh, so no, so we, you know, this, this game has a co-op mode, which we'll get into. Right. And so, um, you know, I played through the main story, love, love the main story. Right. You know, played through all that. And I was like, oh man, this is a co-op mode. And I played this with, uh, my wife and this was the, the game that had the potential to end our marriage. Right. Because (laughs) we could not play this game well together. Um, and what specifically brought it all to a head. And I will say that we did play it again recently for this playthrough and we played through it swimmingly which to me showed a lot of growth like as a couple it's like oh we can do this that's good that's That's the direction you want that story to go in yeah right so but uh at the time was i said to you know i said to megan i'm like put all right you're gonna put a green you know blue portal here and a light blue portal here okay go and she would do it wrong and dump me into the acid right and i was like okay again 
here and here. She would do it wrong. And she's laughing because she thinks it's hilarious, right? <laughs> and so eventually it came to a head when I said, you're doing it on purpose. And she said, no, I'm not. It's really a mistake. And I said, okay. And I put a portal directly over the, uh, over the acid and then went directly underneath her and went, oops. <laughs> And then, and then that's when we were like, we should, we should probably stop. This is not, this is no longer fun for anyone. <laughs> but uh, uh oh, yeah, <laughs> it was mistake. Oh, oops. Uh, so yeah, that that was my um, nostalgia experience of this. So, uh, I it sounds awful, but I remember it fondly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. that's the way a lot of like traumatic stories are. It's like, oh, ha ha, <laughs> and then we didn't have anything to eat for a week. We had to boil our shoes. Ha ha ha. That's not a funny story. <laughs> Uh, what about you? Nostalgia, new nostalgia experience? I, okay, man. This is uh, not a first, but it is rare. And I'm always a little embarrassed when it happens. Is like I was writing out my notes and because I kind of like take my notes all in one big lump and then I organize them after the fact into the, the categories. And I was like, what? What is my new nostalgia experience for this? I. Why? I can't remember this game entering my life. <laughs> it like, just I just was. Yeah. Like, obviously, I can think of a time before the game and after the game, but the time around when the game came in is, like, weirdly blurry. And and I think that speaks to how memefied this whole universe is, because I had a similar kind of problem with Portal 1, right? Where I was like, oh, surely this game's been around for ages. Like, oh, it goes, you know, they used to play it on paper. It was so old. Like, it, it like... I don't know exactly what happened, but my nostalgia experience for this game is this game has always been. And like, I don't, I don't know, I guess like at some point somebody came into my room and did like a, uh, was it total recall? Right. Mm. Where like you think that this game didn't always exist or maybe it never existed. But what, what you know for sure is that by the time you get to the credits, you have no idea what actually happened. Like that's, like looking at promotional artwork and thinking about like where I was in my life and what I was doing when this game came out. I'm like, okay, uh, I'm sure that I played this on a console originally and not on a gaming PC. Cause I didn't have a gaming PC at this time, but wait, I did have my work computer maybe. Okay. But I played it with this person. Maybe I also played the co-op with this other person. It's just like, it's all, <laughs> a, it's all a blur, man. It's all just like a big mess. So I, I don't know, dude, like it, it's, it's in there, but it's like, broken down into its constituent atoms and completely like in a homogenous, you know, half half degree above absolute zero. Like it's just spread across my whole brain. So basically, you know, like how your brain can make up memories, right? So your brain's making up memories and then there's your fact checker who like Q QCs it before it goes into storage. <laughs> and like, you know, they he paints a picture of like you playing on your 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 computer and your, you know, QC person's like, great, ship it. Great, ship it. Great. She, like anything that your brain makes up around this game, it's like, sure. Yeah, no, that happened. Yeah, no, that happened too. Dude, it all happened. Whatever. You know, you, you know what? Every, every memory was a companion cube and they all got fizzled. So the room is full of companion cube. It's just, it's full of like <laughs> the atoms of companion cubes. So uh, speaking of companions. Oh, that was good. That was I'm, right. I'm that was good. Myself. That was, I like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> so if, if you want to be one of our companions and get shoved into a tiny box, uh, you can type words into a tiny box and reach out to us 
Uh, there's a feedback form on the website, Nostalgia. I don't know if I've actually ever said this out loud. Nostalgiagoggles.audio. Um, probably for one of the promotions we've done, but it's in the show notes. Um, we're also both on Twitter. You can also find me on Twitch. So if you want to actually see me play these games, uh, fun story about us playing Portal 2. I played through all of Portal on stream. Uh, and then I said I wasn't going to play Portal 2 because we had not yet decided we were going to do that. And then uh, I started playing Portal 2 on stream and one of our uh, regular viewers came in and was like, I knew it. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> just plays Portal 1. So uh, we really do play these games and you can see proof. Um, if you want to kind of go that extra mile and support us, uh, aside from just being a listener, um, the best thing you can do is always uh, ratings, reviews, and just straight up telling people like a personal recommendation means everything. And if you want to go really crazy and give us money, you can support us on Patreon. And if you do that at, at least a dollar, cause that's the minimum, you get the after show, which is more content. Everybody gets that no matter what level they support at. And if you go really bananas, you can actually get shouted out on the show. So we want to thank first our eight bit classics, which are Yarno, a yellow curiosity core, Jason, a blue intelligence core, John, a red anger core and Kevin, a purple morality core. Good job, Kevin. And our 16 bit heroes, Jacob, a conscious companion cube, <laughs> Michael, an ingenious Wheatley and our full 3D supporter, David, a genetic life form and disc operating system. Nice. Yeah. Huh. I had to save that one, man. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I said, we've done 14 portal related things, right? And I was like, no, no, no. Going to end yeah. all of it. <laughs> GLaDOS. Yeah. yeah. Way, <laughs> way out at the end. You got to play the long game sometimes. Um, this game is longer I mean, than it, the first Doom one. 2016, I think, showed that I was willing to play the long game. <laughs> That's true. That's totally true. <laughs> visuals. We should talk about the visuals. Yeah, we should. Uh, so it's it's like Portal One, but supercharged. Um, kind of. It's just so they took a lot of. First of all, there's there's way more. There's way more game, right? So there's way more visuals, right? Um, all everything's so just to to start right before we talk about the new stuff. All of the visuals from the first one, they're just more polished, right? Um, and they kind of need to be because the uh, spoilers for this game, in case you didn't know, um, but it takes place like after the first one right so you know glados has died and and as wheatley said like um yeah she was killed by a human and then a very long time went where absolutely nothing happened and uh now we're here so they need that additional um uh kind of polish in order to kind of make everything look grungy and broken down right one thing in particular that they did that i really appreciated was the portal gun is no longer a clean, new, pristine portal gun. It is a, it's just, it's dirty, right? You know, so um, kind of everything about it kind of feeds into that feel of like, this is not, this ain't, this ain't your parents' portal. And then um, to be fair, as Gladys comes back to life and she starts to stitch everything together, she does have the amazing line of um, uh, federal regulation requires me to tell you that this room is looking pretty good. Dude, I, I have that exact <laughs> comment in my notes. Because I, I think Valve is known for caring a lot about pushing technology and not just better graphics, better graphics, better graphics, but like they care about peripherals and they care about like VR and all that stuff. So like they they want to do things with the technology that are are like new and novel. And 
between 2007 when Portal came out and 2011 when Portal 2 came out, it wasn't just that time had passed so they could do better graphics, but also this game had a substantially larger budget. So stuff was better and they had money for more stuff. So where Portal 1 is defined almost entirely by its like sterile testing lab facility nothingness, right? I mean, we talked about how like blank the canvas is and and all of the reasons that that was a smart decision and that it it suited the technology as well as the gameplay. Um Portal 2 from basically the second the game starts is defined by how utterly filthy and overgrown everything is. All the walls have mold. There's uh, plants growing up into it. When you uh, wake up the second time in the rehabilitation or yeah. re- relaxation center. Yeah. In the relaxation chamber after you've been asleep for nine, nine, nine. <laughs> yes. I, it, there's a weird story about that that somebody told me, but we'll save that. Um, but when you wake up uh, and, you know, cause you, you start standing, right. It's first person shooter. When you turn and look at the bed, there is a person shaped indent in the bed and it's got all like the material is all like wrinkled and there's all these little shadows and dynamic lighting effects and stuff. And like, you can almost feel that valve was like, okay, everything was super sterile and flat and solid colors in portal one for a bunch of reasons. And all of those reasons are gone now. So let's not just make everything super sterile and flat again. So what narrative reasons it's kind of like how Pixar does it. So I'm imagining that Valve may have done something similar. It's like, what narrative reasons can we have to push the technology to do this thing? And jumping way forward in time so that the the facility is all broken down and gross and grimy. And there's plants and there's different kinds of dirty water. And there's like the like natural order of things. Like there's slopes. Like Portal 1 has almost mm-hmm. no slopes. There's like slopey hills and dirt and crap underground. Like it's it's amazing how unnatural the first game feels in a way and then how kind of like defined by natural stuff the second game oh, yeah. is. Well and and one thing and we didn't mention this in in the Portal 1 podcast which happened just moments ago. Um but the uh uh in this one that I I wanted to mention because I I have a different memory of it but I remember Portal 1 ending with just like you you hit the ground like everything's on fire you hit the ground and and it just shows stuff running down in the background. But when I replayed it this time after purchasing it again, right, is I heard something say, like, party submission position assumed, and then you get dragged a little bit, right? And it, I didn't remember that first time. I'm like, it, did they? So they retconned that in. Awesome. Yes. Love it. Love everything about it. Yeah. Especially because, again, they made sure it was steeped in the mission. Because if they just showed somebody dragging you off, I'd be like, that's a little weird. But it's like party submission position assumed. I'm like, nope, I'm okay with this now. Um so anyway, so no, that that that's all um, all fantastic and and all one hundred percent true. And so again, this game just it's just, just so much more. So to your point, right, is that I think that honestly, I think that Portal One was like their proof of concept, which was that Portal One was their dual analog stick of <laughs> video gaming, which is can the human brain do this and have fun doing it, right? So they did it on probably a very low budget because it's like, there's no way that we can sit there and make a whole game about this concept. And people ate it up and they're like, all right, well, let's just more, more everything, right? So the the plot is is amazing and, and very, very well done. And so because of that, you are often, they, they do a great job switching between like the um, very well-organized 
rooms of the testing chambers, right? And the complete disorganized mess that is the facility behind the scenes, right? So, and this is more of a gameplay thing, but like it gives your brain like kind of like a, okay, I'm in like, I'm, I'm in complete puzzle solving mode. Now I'm in exploration mode and it kind of waxes and wanes between all that. But I say all that to say that the sheer vastness of this facility that they've built out is just night and day different from the first one. The first one, you're claustrophobic because you're being shunted from one testing chamber to another to another. In this one, man, like just some of the the, the underground areas that you're that you're shown truly shows the uh, the immensity of the facility. And, and, well, um, and that's a great example of the underlying technology being the key thing that changed, right? And so they're like, oh we were hinting at the fact that this place was gigantic and now we can literally show you. We can have a giant room where there's things way off in the distance because it's not the N64 and the draw distance isn't six feet. Right. And actually one of the things that that for a while that visual... So first, my first take on that visual was this, this looks amazing, right? My second take was a bit of uh, ludonarrative dissonance, which is I was just kind of like, how did they hollow out the earth to this degree in like this like crazy you know don't, don't you uh, remember they tell you oh how so it's a salt mine oh really i must have missed that when you first go into um the uh the like cave johnson era mm-hmm. like when you get when you fall way down uh mm-hmm. in the display case there is a uh newspaper clipping that's been like lacquered onto wood i think and it says something like eccentric entrepreneur buys abandoned salt mine interesting because i think that that so that makes sense for the cape johnson thing but then also too is a part of me was like so throughout the the game right like glados is wildly changing where everything is and sometimes destroying stuff in the process right so a part of me was like okay well now that she's destroyed this it's this walkway it's not on a gear with a pulley like she can't manipulate it anymore how would that even work uh and i've got a, a theory behind that which is that wheatley says at one point when one of the times when He's still on your team, right? And he's trying to like help you. Is he said like, yeah, don't worry. I'll be there soon. Yeah, yeah. I got a, I got a, a job with the nanobot crew. And he says like, oh yeah, you know, like, like, well, maybe you should have accommodated a nanobot of my size. Way to go, Jer. Thanks for the hate crime, you know? But there are nanobots. So I think that the nanobots build the giant pistons and all that that GLaDOS actually manipulates, which I think, and this is a little far afield from visuals, but I can bring it back, I promise, <laughs> which is that, it's it's like that GLaDOS really is an organism, right? And so like the, she can, like you and I, we can't, you know, move our liver, right? Or anything like that, right? So the nanobots actually you build the ass. stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> <laughs> but the nanobots build the pieces of the facility that GLaDOS can actually move and manipulate, you know? So, uh, so that's my theory behind why this place can be so expansive and have all of these big things that Gladys can manipulate is because she has nanobots that build this stuff for her. Yeah. She's, they, they very much create like a, you are in the belly of the beast, right? Like, so, you know, no, she can't control every cell in her organs, but her organs are going to digest you because you've been eaten. Um, yeah. So uh, a visual thing I wanted to mention, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to segue into. So thank you for not knowing that it was an abandoned salt mine, because one of the biggest differences between Portal 1 and Portal 2 visually is Portal 1 has a lot of atmosphere in the visuals and 
a little bit of narrative, right? And that little bit of narrative is there for you to speculate about and wonder about, right? And then more of it got codified and canonized over time um, because there's like a comic and there's like some Mm -hmm. other side, like a few short animations or something. So, I mean, there's like a bunch of canon that, that followed the wild popularity, but something they did in Portal 2 that I think they did well, but I still think like was precarious is how much canon and narrative is just in the environment right so like this game has a crap load of dialogue and we'll talk about that when we get to the audio but like when you you could easily miss the the that case with and there's a bunch of things in there that like tell you about cave and like kind of what he was doing at that time in history and what year all of that was happening right like there's a bunch of stuff that is just kind of like tossed willy-nilly about the environment but if you are in a rush if you're feeling scared if you're feeling confused by a puzzle if you're frustrated by a puzzle or something like or there's characters talking so you think you're getting the narrative because you're running down a hallway and they're talking to you but actually there's tons of narratives scattered about the, the hallways you're running down like you could easily miss that stuff and this is something that I'll, I'll probably revisit as we talk about the other parts of the game is there's so much more, right? Like there's so much more. And, and I would have a hard time arguing with someone if they played portal one and then played portal two and was like, dude, it's, it's, it's overwhelming because there's so like you said, you know, the, the beginning of portal one is defined by like how stark everything is. And then when you get to behind the facility, it's all like grimy and gross and like, like, Oh, now I'm, I'm in the real world kind of thing. And I think this game does the same thing, but it's not a binary, right? The gross overgrown part of the facility is still the facility. And then the clean, nice part of the facility represents like GLaDOS regaining control. And then you put her in a potato, kill her. She gets, she loses levels. She's her character. (laughs) Her character is deleveled. And then you go into the underground and the underground is defined by a switch in tone and time and character objective and like a lot, right? Like those visuals convey so much difference to the point where once you've played through the game, when you see a screenshot of like a, a grimy overgrown chamber, you're like, Oh, that's in the beginning. That's how I should be feeling at this point of the game. Or, Oh, that's in the cleaned up chambers. That's when GLaDOS is kind of like back at her full power. And then when you see the underground section, which is, kind of most of the game, right? Like most of the game, you're outside of like the core testing chambers, not counting like Wheatley's screwed up testing chambers. Um, I, I honestly think it kind of breaks down by thirds, you know, is that mm, I think that yeah, about a third right. of it is, is through to, to portal uh, to Jesus to GLaDOS. Right. <laughs> um, and then uh, a third did, is, did spent, you just, did you just Metroid to Samus Aran or like did, Zelda yeah, yeah, link? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then a third is spent underground with Cave Johnson, and then another, and it may be off a little bit, but it's spent like in the end with Wheatley. Yeah, you know, no, you're you're probably about right. Um, yeah, because that would be a three act play, right? So, but I just think that there's the, the, the visuals at each one of those are right. very very different, and so even just looking at a test chamber from those different parts of the game if you've played the game, you're like, Oh, I know how I should be feeling. Cause I know where the characters are kind of in the story. Well, and also too, to your point, right? Not only are the visuals all very different, they kind of give you, and I think this is amazing is they give you the different flavors of the same 
different lenses through which you view in the same thing, right? Because they're all testing chambers, right? So you get to see GLaDOS's testing chambers, which we are already familiar with from Portal 1, which is great kind of like lead-in, right? It, it, you know what it's kind of like? So it's it's kind of like the uh, the Protoss, the Zerg, and the Terrans, right? They all have similar <laughs> units, right? It's a little bit different. But then you get to see Cave Johnson's take on the uh, on the different testing chambers, right? So you still you still have the cubes, but they're like the old-timey cubes. And you, know, you still have the elevators, but they're a little bit a little bit different, you know, because they're made for, for astronauts and war heroes. And these scientists, they didn't go out there and take home the gold. You did. You know, he admires your grit. Hustle could use some work, though. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, But then you get to see Wheatley's take on it. And Wheatley is a disorganized mess because Wheatley is a disorganized mess, you know. So the first thing he does is he's like, OK, well, so just solve this puzzle. Again, so instead of just going into the next chamber in a nice organized fashion like he would with GLaDOS, he just kind of opens the back door and says, like, just solve it again. And when that doesn't work, he says, like, oh, yeah, there's not really an exit to this one. Hang on. And he just smashes two <laughs> testing chambers together, you know? Yeah, but he, he does, does. He has that kind of stuff. He's just very disorganized. But again, it shows, like, okay, this is what it looks like with a modern, in-control AI the way it's supposed to be. This is what it looked like. Like, this is the artifact of what it looked like before, before there was an AI when humans were in charge. And this is what it looks like with an AI that has no idea what they're doing. So they're, they're similar, but all they, they all have completely different feels to it. It's rare that you can get a game to do something like that because they have an excuse to narratively. Well, and they, they use a lot of um, static assets in the world for world building, like the when you are escaping from the relaxation center the first room that you fall into is the 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 little prison cell that you start portal one in right but it's i all, know right it's all overgrown and screwed up right so like but you you get that immediate here is a thing that's familiar but has been perverted right and mm-hmm. nobody has to say like oh does this look familiar to you shell like you were here before right because that would be incredibly ham-fisted and stupid but there's all these little subtle things and and i i thought of a few but there's probably like hundreds and my brain just processes them and doesn't even like my heart knows but my brain isn't consciously aware of it but like one of my favorite examples of where they use visuals to like put you in the right kind of like character mindset is think about in the very beginning how Wheatley gets you out of the relaxation chamber, right? He just takes the whole chamber and just smashes it against the wall, right? And it's super visually spectacular because the sides... Maybe does a manual override. <laughs> yes, it might get a bit technical. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the sides of the relaxation chamber have crumbled away. And so you can see just rows and rows of these identical buildings that you know have people in them, right? Or corpses right so like you can see all of this like spectacular visual but it's all kind of like flying by at a million miles an hour and then in the third act when wheatley is the one building the rooms that is exactly how he builds the chambers he just takes different pieces of test chambers and smashes them together so like your entire relationship with wheatley when he is in charge is that he's a toddler smashing you know, Tonka trucks together. And like there, there's just a million little places where they put something on screen. And sometimes it's really subtle and sometimes it's really obvious, like the entire screen moving, but that it sets you up for a future thing. And one that I honestly forgot about, and I'm really glad I have a screenshot of it in front of me is when you go into that first little room, 
uh, it's like super early on that has uh, all of the the like artwork, like the dia. What would you call it? Like deatific, like it's like holy artwork that the Ratman Mm -hmm. did of of Shell. Um, There is some other artwork that most people miss up on the ceiling. Do you know what it is? Uh, What? It's the phases of the moon. And they're Ah. on tiles that are portable. The only ceiling in that entire room is portable tiles. And it's a like an old fashioned like phase of the moon calendar. And how do you beat the game by shooting a portal at the moon? Right. Like from the first five minutes of the game, they basically say this is how you're going to win. Right. Like and there's just a million little things like that. Well, and and, and the game does such a great job. This is uh, just one thing I just absolutely have to mention is that my I have a crystal clear memory of the ending of the game because literally you know, you go to hit the uh, conflict resolution button, right? Uh, stalemate, excuse me, stalemate resolution button, right? Because to be fair, you're not a, a trained stalemate resolution, you know, professional, but you hit that and he goes, oh, booby trap the resolution button, you know? And so you're sitting there and it's kind of, you know, they, they, they take the camera control away from you for a second, right? As you're like slowly and like groggily pulling yourself up. And then you just look up and you see the moon and they've established that the portable surfaces are ground up moon rocks, right? And they just, point the camera at the moon and then they give you back control and literally i remember my brain going no there's no way that they're gonna let me portal onto the moon and then you press the button and then it just pauses and then you see the little light flash and then all of a sudden just the gas starts getting pulled out there and you're like oh my god this is happening and then they take it take control away from you again because they're like you did the thing but the fact that they let you portal onto the moon because they're like hey hey do it come on you know, you you know that you want to, and it's like I do. I I never have I needed something so much and not known until I received it. Yeah. Well, and and um, they uh, not to spend too much time on the audio cues, but there are a couple like moon visuals in the game, and there's a bunch of audio cues that talk about the moon, that talk about portable surfaces, right? Like they they really steer you toward that, but still let you feel like even though they've literally taken control of the camera away and pointed the camera directly at the one and only solution to this problem, it still feels great. And, and it's, it's hard to imagine like if you were looking for something in the store and you couldn't find it and I grabbed you by your ears and steered your face toward it, that you would be like, that was the best way to show me this. And yet (laughs) that is essentially what we're saying. We're saying having the camera taken away and having our face pointed directly at the thing somehow feels amazing well because it's it's like you know if you said oh man you know i'm I'm looking to i've got to make thanksgiving dinner right i've got this huge big thanksgiving dinner that i've got to make right and so you're kind of going through the store and you're like, i don't, I don't know man i don't know how to do this and then you grab grab me by the head and point me directly at a big red button that says makes thanksgiving dinner for you and 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 you just sit there and you say i mean there's no way this button's gonna make thanksgiving dinner for me but I'm going to press it and you press it and it does. And you're like, Whoa, I just never would have guessed. Um, so a couple of, uh, a couple of things I want to make sure that, that, that we touch on in visuals um, that I just at a minimum want to mention um, is two big things. They fixed from the first version um, that I, I threw in here is, is one um, they fixed the hitbox of the, the boxes that you move. They don't clip on portals anymore. So mm-hmm. if you've got a box that you're holding onto and you go through a portal, it doesn't matter if you've got that thing strong-armed way out to your right, you know? 
and and it, it it'll it'll almost strip your arm off, but it won't pull it out of your grip, which is just so nice, especially considering that how often they ask you to do that, which is way more in the first one. It was really critical that they fix that. Another thing is that they fixed portal reorientation, you know? So if you're facing in a direction, you continue to face in that direction. And also, too, a lot of the times they cheat portal placement as well, you know? So like if there's a two um, portal wide uh, angled surface for you to portal onto, if you fire a portal anywhere except on the far left or the far right, it puts the portal dead in the center. It's like, this is what you're trying to do, right? You know, and you're like, yes, that is what I'm trying to do. That may not be what I did. And in Portal 1, it just wherever you pointed the gun, that's where the portal went. You know, but they'll cheat it a number of different times uh, to just make it easier because they're like, this is what you're trying to do, right? Well, and, and, and this is um, a little bit of a mechanical change, but like first-person shooters pretty much universally have um, like some sort of aim, aim correction or auto-aim assist. Aim assist, thank you, aim assist. Like even if they don't flat out call it that or tell you that it's happening there almost always is some because the controls aren't perfect. The game is engine isn't perfect. Right. And so to do that in a game like this, I think is you can be pretty heavy handed. Right. So if you have that, cause the, all the tiles are like, they're, you know, tall rectangles. Mm-hmm. So you have a square, which is made of two tall rectangles side by side. There's a seam in the middle and it's like, mm, we're not going to design puzzles where we need them to put it on the left rectangle or the right rectangle the point is that it's a big square target and we want them to shoot it roughly in the center right and so the aim assist in this i would not be surprised if it's like super heavy-handed like way over the top heavy-handed because who the hell cares you're not you're not playing halo online where it's like if every time you pulled the trigger somebody died way on the other side of the map like that wouldn't feel very fun or fair but because the question isn't can you make the shot it's do you understand how to solve the puzzle? It's like, yeah, aim assist the crap out of it, please. Oh, yeah. Right? And there's never a time I can think of where the aim assist is so heavy-handed that visually it was jarring. Because that right. that could be a problem, but you can design around that by just having limited surfaces to fire portals onto. Which they do. Um, the other thing that I want to make sure that I mention, um, and then outside of this, I just have a couple throwaway notes, is, uh, so as we mentioned, there are these enormous underground caverns, right? And there is, as opposed to in Portal one where basically just at the very end do you actually like explore the facility for a very small period of time a lot of your time is spent exploring the facility not just solving puzzles right um so the key is follow the light if you don't know where to go look for the light wherever the light is that's that's the next place you got to go did did you come to that on your own uh yeah i mean like like i mean in the sense that Every video game I played up till now yeah. has taught me that. But, but, but yeah, I mean, like no, you, you recognized it. Yeah. Okay. So I maybe subconsciously knew that, but I hadn't like consciously recognized it. And someone in Twitch chat mentioned that the because uh, you can play this game with like a commentary track turned on, which I've I've never done. But mm, apparently, yeah. in the commentary track, uh, one of the game designers or one of the producers or something, um he mentions the light thing several times like, Oh, in this room, you know, testers were having a hard time. And so we put a light over here and, you know, then some people said, Oh, it's too obvious. So like we made the light higher. So it's shining down on the thing. It's not right on the thing. And, and like the, the person who, who made that comment said, I was a little frustrated when I heard that because now I can't stop using it to cheat with. 
like because I don't actually think about solving the puzzle. I just walk into a room and look for where the lights are. And I was like, yep. oh, man, then you're not immersed enough. Like they, <laughs> they should just be lights that some of them are on and some of them are off. If you are looking around at the lights, then you are thinking about playing a video game. You're not Shell and Potato GLaDOS desperately trying to fight for survival. Like you are a person sitting in a chair playing a video game. That's your fault. <laughs> get, <laughs> that, that's o- on you. Open your heart and get, get, get immersed in the experience. But I, I did not recognize the light thing on my own, but it, it's 100 percent true. Yeah, no, and, and so basically kind of the way it, it, it worked for me is that I think that probably 80% of the time, I just naturally looked towards the light. Like, you know, you look that, around that, the room. That's why like, it works so well. That's why it works so well. But I will say whenever I got lost, I would like, so already I was broken out of the game because I'm like, I'm lo- I don't know where to go. So I'd be like, okay, just take a minute. Look around for the light. Where's yeah. the light? Okay, here's where the light is. And And again, the nice thing is that they never ever ask you to portal into some obscure place in the side of the map. They never ask you to do anything weird, like it, 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 to put a portal anywhere where there isn't obviously supposed to be a portal. So because of that, like um, I was never like, oh no, I need to kind of scour this map like all over the place to find these. No, it's like they, they are going to. They want to keep you moving at a pretty solid, consistent pace. And I do know that the follow the light works is because literally. Uh, and I don't think I've established this yet for for in this episode is that um, so my son and I have played about 40 hours of this game. <laughs> it is his new favorite game. He wakes up on Saturdays because he doesn't get to play video games or watch TV during the week. Every Saturday morning, he wakes up and right after breakfast, he says, can we play Portal? And we sit down for like an hour and a half and just and he just he just goes. He is at the point now where between memorization and kind of understanding the mechanics, he can play a lot of it himself. I say all that to say that when he does get lost right in the exploration sections is I'll say, take a minute, buddy. Where's the light? And and I think I actually said to him, you know, because I was like the developers will put light where you need. And go, there's a light. I'm like, so how do you think that works into your puzzle? And they go, oh, I know I need to put a portal here. And I'm like, there you go. You got it. But and and so uh, so literally, my son's six. So if if it works for a six year old, it should work for everyone. And that's and that's good game design because the the point of this isn't to stump the player. You know what it isn't? It isn't one of the complaints for Ocarina where it's trying to find a soulless crystal in some soulless cavern <laughs> in the side of the room. Is that a puzzle? Is this fun? Is this what you want? It's not that. Yeah, and and I think in to be fair to this as a a visual mechanic because this is very much a steering mechanic that is done a hundred percent through visuals is I, I don't know that I could reasonably say it's unfair to say you're in a dark room and the things that we want you to be able to pay attention to are illuminated, right? Not by a stupid, you know, non-diegetic glowing outline, not by a magical floating arrow. That's like stupid. Go over here, go over here, stupid, right? right. It's, it's like, some of the lights in this room work. And so if you are trying to look for things, you must by necessity, look where there are things to see, right? So like, yes, it is sometimes a little heavy handed that they artificially make something super dark, but like, again, they made that work with the narrative because you're underground. There isn't a whole lot of light <laughs> down there. Yep. And uh, the, the other just two throwaway notes I have is one is that the uh, initial um, uh, aperture science laboratory was uh, uh, opened in 19, 19- 1961. I know that because it's painted on the side of the wall to your own point, right? Like <laughs> I didn't notice the first time or maybe even the third time I played through with my son, but 
um, I, I think to your point with the visuals on on the narrative is that they're nice, just things. It, again, I've played this game all the way through now, probably five times, because again, my son's new favorite game. Um, and uh, I'm still finding new new little stuff. Where I'm like, oh, neat. So the fact that you can't find it on the first go, I'm kind of cool with because it, it, that's the replay value. The new game plus is all the little stuff you find when you when you go through. And finally, the one other thing they did that just I really, really love is that, you know, when you're playing through the first time, it's just the standard aperture science. And then when you go into the underground tunnels, it's the old timey aperture science on the loading screen. And then when you come back, it's Wheatley Laboratories. Yes. And that's just- and, and it's like a big crossed out, like a petulant child <laughs> crossed out aperture because he yeah. is you just like, like put it over like a sign over. It's like it's Wheatley Laboratories. And it's like. It's just, again, that type of attention to detail, because to your point is it's not immersion breaking, because if it was always like, oh, here's your loading screen, it says Aperture Science. It's like, no, you're not you're not just playing a game, you're in the universe. So this is this is Wheatley Laboratories now, because not only is he an idiot, he is the biggest idiot that the smartest people in the world could make. And (laughs) you put him in charge. So, God, I can't remember exactly how she says it, but she says. He's the result of the greatest minds of a generation working to make the dumbest moron who ever lived. Yeah. And you just put him in charge. Yeah. Um, you actually, you also get, <laughs> Oh good. That's oh, good. Still that working. still works. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This game is quotable in a dangerous way. Um, yeah. So, uh, my, my two last things are to follow on to your last comment. Um, you also get, uh, progressive title screens, so in Portal 1, I, I know there's at least two. There's before you beat the mm-hmm. game and after mm-hmm. you beat the game. Uh, but in Portal 2, there's like a bunch, like a whole yeah. bunch, right? So as you play through the game, if you're actually quitting all the way out to the title screen and then reloading, um, there's a, a whole bunch of different title screens that kind of evolve as the narrative evolves, just like the the um, you sort of get the three-act uh, loading mm-hmm. screens. Um, the one other thing, and this is like such a weirdly small note to end uh, visuals on for me, but... When you uh, get a cube, like a weighted companion cube that you have, or they're not all companion cubes. Only the ones with the hearts are companion cubes. When you get a weighted mm-hmm. cube and you uh, put it on the button, the, the, there's cube a circle. Yeah. There's yep. a circle around the center, the circle um, in the middle of the, the cube. And it goes from blue to yellow, which is also what the lights on the floor do, which tells you if you are like, if your back is to the door, and you put the cube down and it turns yellow and you turn in pretty much any direction, you will see the now yellow lights, right? So your eye will just naturally follow them. And they did almost the same thing in portal one portal one has the dots on the ground and it has like the little indicator next to the door to the platform or whatever, but having the cube change color. So because you can't possibly not have the cube in your entire field of view is just it's such a thoughtful little improvement. They didn't have to do that. I'm I'm pretty confident nobody was deeply confused by how the buttons worked, but it just shows that in the game and in the world of the game that being confused by what the button did is not part of the test, right? Right. So like you should immediately know is the button like is the cube on the button and did the button activate so that I can see like what changed in the world. So it's like, it's a tiny little thing, but it just, it's, it's that level of polish and thoughtfulness that like the seeds were there in portal one. And then they just beautiful flowers in portal two. So to, uh, I, I did have to double check. So to answer your question is, um, you have your companion cube. It is a weighted storage cube or 
a discouragement redirection cube are the ones oh, that the laser one. <laughs> the yeah. Laser one. Yes. <laughs> discouragement. That is a good name. <laughs> it is right. I mean, like just a, a lot of the exec you speak that they throw into this is just, uh, you know, j- just delightful. But uh, speaking of exec you speak audio. Yeah. Um, there's so much more audio in this. Like so much more. If if there's more visuals by an order of magnitude, there's more audio by like 10 orders of magnitude. Like an order of magnitude, order of magnitude. It's so much more. Well, and I think that the the amount of audio that they put in here really kind of shows that the team that that made Portal 1 gets it. Like they get what made Portal 1 popular. Like what makes Portal 1 popular? Really really awesome puzzles and really awesome like dialogue narrative. You know, not not narrative being there there is no text crawling across the screen. I know there's no text crawling across the screen because Teddy can play it. Everything's delivered <laughs> either through, you know, either through the the visuals, the mechanics or through the audio, right? And and one of the things that that again, like to me, I'm not saying that a 6-year-old needs to be able to grasp every game, but to 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 me, if Teddy can grasp it, it means that they've made it crystal clear what it is that they're doing, right? And so literally, um, one of the things that happened was in one of the rooms, you you the first room where you get a companion cube, you pick it up and GLaDOS fizzles it, right? So it makes a very, very loud noise. It fizzles and she goes, oh, I accidentally fizzled that before you could do anything with it. Here's another one. And so Teddy looked, literally furrowed his brow and looked at me like, what just happened? Should, and I, and, should we be mad about that? I'm a little yeah, mad and, about and that. So I just kind of pointed at the TV, you know, and so he picked up and then does and she she's like, Oh, I fizzled that one too. He looks at me, he goes, GLaDOS is mean. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, she is, you know? <laughs> and so then later on, like after um Wheatley becomes in charge, right? Teddy, you know, like this whole thing happens and he's kind of like, and I'm watching him because I'm like, this might be a little intense, you know, because Wheatley taking over gets a little intense um so when you're falling all the way down teddy looked at me he goes dada what happened and i was like what do you think he goes i don't think wheatley's our friend anymore and i'm like no he is not and he goes huh you know and and so like but again like so the the audio cues are just very very crystal clear because when it's immersive dialogue that they're just kind of giving to flesh out the world that's done while you're doing stuff right but if it's dialogue where they need you to focus and pay attention that's done when basically there's either nothing else going on you know or they've like it's basically a cutscene. so like when glados revives there you're in control there's nothing for you to do right you know um whereas uh like when when wheatley is just being a moron and you're just kind of getting that 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 information in your brain that Wheatley is a moron. You're walking, you're talking, you know, and uh, and he's just saying his dumb stuff. So anyway, so it's just expertly done. <laughs> well, and and the I mean, because these are performances, right? Like there's yeah, there's, oh yeah. Any voice actor is doing a performance, but these are the kind of performances where and God, I think his name is Stephen Merchant that mm. does Wheatley's voice, and then Ellen. McLean or whatever, who's GLaDOS and also all the turrets and everything. Uh, and then um, Cave Johnson uh, is uh, J.K. Simmons. Um, I don't actually know who does the voice of the opening narrator, the narrator who mm. talks to you before um, GLaDOS is revived. Uh, and he he only comes back again as like a warning noise. Right. Like he never really speaks to you again after that. Um, but there's again, like a million little subtle foreshadowing things and like world building things they do. So like, here's some of the ones that I like, um, Wheatley from 
the word go is just, he never shuts the hell up and you subconsciously learn something, which is, do I want to sit here and listen to him or do I want to plow through? And I think what they're trying to get you to do is be fed up with him so that it's easier to deal with him as a villain because you're supposed to feel a sense of urgency since you're trying to escape. Right. And he's like kind of a happy go lucky idiot. Like he wants to escape, but like, he's not really that helpful in a lot of ways. And so, uh, this game doesn't just have a lot of dialogue. It has a lot of hidden dialogue. Mm -hmm. If you are patient, Wheatley has about, twice as much dialogue as you have to hear. And some of it is even stitched together in such a way that if you blow past a line of dialogue and it cuts like it jump cuts to the next one, you might not even know because he talks so much so fast that everything he says kind of just flows together. So if you are like super aggressive or you're getting frustrated with him, like you might miss a ton of his dialogue, which adds to the replay value because you want to get more of it. Which, to be fair, GLaDOS actually says is that, you know, they created so he would come with up with a, quote, endless stream of bad ideas. Yes. Which is what he does, you know, yes. he just is constantly brave. So, like, you you sometimes, like, have trouble focusing because Wheatley is constantly, like, needling you. And so it creates empathy with GLaDOS because you're like, no, I know exactly what that feels like. I was carrying this guy around. Like, yeah. I had he, the moron the earpiece cue. from Harrison Bergeron. <laughs> oh my god he is yes yeah. yes that yeah. that's exactly yeah. what yeah. he is um i would not be surprised if someone in the commentary track references that book because <laughs> yes um so one of the things that i i noticed you, you can tell me if you disagree with this but i felt very clever when i put this together um i feel with a pretty high level of confidence that the writing like the dialogue they wrote for the narrator in the beginning of the game is almost exactly the same tonally as the dialogue that Cave Johnson has in his recordings. The difference is in presentation. Cave Johnson yells at you. He goes off on weird tangents and he's obviously, you know, going off script and stuff. In fact, at one point he flat out says like, you know, oh, they told me that these recordings might interfere with the test. So you know what I said? More recordings. <laughs> like, you know, I, think that was I, I pay the bills around here. <laughs> Specifically when uh, the scientists are upset that he told you about the control group for the <laughs> repulsion gel. Yes, exactly. Right. And broke so every leg in his body. If you juxtapose that to one of the early chambers where uh, the narrator is like kind of getting a little more friendly, but still being very like weirdly factual. And I think the best line he has is um, well, two that spring to mind. One is. Uh, if physics no longer work in the future, God help you. Right. Like yep. he just flat out says, but it's not, it's not meant to be teasing or taunting. Like they just try to prepare for everything they could conceive of. And physics not working is something that aperture science was afraid they might have a hand in because remember the facility is broken down due to, uh, due to circumstances of a possibly apocalyptic nature. Right. And so like everything he says is not just funny and like kind of getting you in the mood for the game. It's preparing you for cave Johnson, right? Because you spend most of your time with GLaDOS as her in like a buddy cop sort of thing mm -hmm. with kind of with you, but sort of with cave. Cause she talks to cave, but not really, she doesn't converse with you cause you don't talk back. Um, in fact, she even makes fun of you for being mute. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I truly believe the narrator, the entire point of the narrator is to prepare you for, cave what um i would believe is or at least my 
my headcanon could be is that because the entire purpose of that narrator is they are the the AI that comes online when the real AI GLaDOS is not you know, available, yeah. right? She's dead. Be- because right? fortunately, the AIs in this facility will work on as little as 1.1 volts. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, unless they have emotional outbursts, those those take more than one point. <laughs> well, to be fair, the potato generates one volt, point and I think three the, volts. Hmm? the the potato generates 1.3 volts. I thought I thought the potato generated one volt, and that the uh, metal piece of you stabbing it onto your portal gun generated an additional. 0.4 volts yes so. yeah <laughs> so we got it we got it we got to get the math right because <laughs> i think she goes like whoa is that like magnesium in there anyways i'm getting a little bit of extra juice and then when she goes wait what the hell is going on it's like <laughs> apparently emotional outbursts take more than 1.4 volts so we're going to continue to figure this out calmly um <laughs> anyways um but what i would what i believe um jumping off of your thing and uh is now my head cannon is that the that ai is their first attempt, right, with Kate Johnson. So they try to copy over Kate Johnson, and that's all they get, right? And so then when they... they yeah, it's, it's a simulacrum of his personality. Right, you know, as, and then when they, they're like, no, 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 we got it now. So they pulled Carolyn in. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I just realized, yeah. um, I remembered what my nostalgia experience for this game actually is. It, it came mm-hmm. back to me. Yeah. So um, in this game... It has one of the most like well executed uh pants crapping performances in the the whole like portal half life universe. I've never played in the half life game, so I'm assuming, but anyway, um when you uh go into the chamber where GLaDOS's corpse is and you accidentally wake her up, she says, Oh, it's you. You and, and Wheatley goes, you know her? And then <laughs> and she just completely ignores him because he is not a threat to her and she doesn't even know or care what he is. She calls him little ball, I think. Um, but uh when she smashes Wheatley and throws him aside and then picks you up because she's going to put you back to testing for the 60 years remaining in your life, she says, We both said a lot of things that you're going to regret. And that scene minus Wheatley's commentary, because nobody knew about Wheatley, that was the teaser trailer for this mm-hmm. game. And I remember seeing that online and just feeling the money go flying out of my <laughs> wallet, just absolutely at light speed into Gabe's wallet at Valve, nice. because I was just like, this is a commercial for a video game that is not really a horror game. And I am terrified and also deeply intrigued, right? Like yeah. talk about marketing, dude, but just like those two lines, like, Oh, it's you. And we both said a lot of things that you're going to regret. Like her performance of that is just like, I, whatever, like how much is it? Do I need to mortgage my house or sell one of my kidneys? Like wh- whatever you want. Like, I got to know what is on the other side of those two lines of dialogue. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's just kind of like, I will mortgage my house and give you every cent I have for, the true portal experience like i go to disneyland but it's it's portal <laughs> um yeah no all, all of that's awesome uh so yeah so there, there is a, a a absolutely ton of dialogue um which we could just sit here and i mean honestly we could probably just quote this back and forth for the rest of the episode and i would be very happy with, with the time well spent <laughs> um a couple of um uh, other uh minor these are like minor notes but i think kind of shows the level of thought and polish that went into it is um one uh the the 
the music changes depending on how you're interacting with the environment, which is really, really kind of cool. And it kind of codifies what you're doing. So again, I don't think that there's any point when you're using the, uh, oh man, I forget what they're called, but the uh, catapults, whatever, they've got a cool name. Aerial Faith Plate. Aerial Faith Plate. I knew it had a cool name, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, Look at you flying through the air like an eagle piloting a blimp um (laughs) so uh when you're when you're you know but but it has a cool little noise when you're doing that when you're um running fast over the the orange goo it um uh the the acceleration gel it uh it has a a a sound and it doesn't completely replace it it just it's it's the yoshi right it's riding the yoshi yes yeah so it does that with every mechanic that you interact with which to me doesn't it's not audio for to enhance um gameplay in the sense that i don't think that there i don't think that when you're hovering in a weightless you know tube that there's any part of you that is worried about what's going on but it does it's so much more immersive you know so um that's that's just amazing tens across the board on that one um one of the things i thought was kind of cool is that the audio for you solving the puzzle will kick in before you actually solve the puzzle in a lot of cases, which makes it feel way more organic, right? So mm, like yeah. when you when you put the final cube, if every single time when you put the final cube on the final button, that's when GLaDOS started speaking, that would feel gamey. So there's a couple of times, uh, not a couple, there's a handful of times when the game hedges their bets on the fact that you're unlikely to screw, you've done everything you need to do and you're really unlikely to screw it up at this point. Um, the one that comes to mind is at one point when you're floating uh, on the the wait waitless uh, column, right? And you it, it won't activate if you just because you have to it has to be you and the cube that are floating through that, right? So I accidentally just put the cube in there because I forgot didn't activate the audio. But the minute that I and the cube were floating after we had floated through and we're floating towards it, that's when Wheatley started talking because at that point, kind of no matter what I did, I was going to solve the puzzle, you know? Mm-hmm. And that just makes it feel so much more like you're just having a conversation, you know, as opposed to like thing A happened, now thing B happens, you know, like a game. Yeah, because so, um, that is exactly what's happening, but it's the stage dressing is such that it doesn't feel like, right? The The illusion is total. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, uh, and sorry, I just I, I get such a huge because again, they're 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 good actors, right? Like this isn't just they hired some person. Like every single person that says a thing in here is great, but like just I'm just picturing like the way how excited Wheatley is at first when you're solving those puzzles. Where he's like, "Oh yes, well <laughs> done," you know, like it's, it's like he just got that hit of heroin. His whole body's kind of slinking down, you know, and then. When he builds up the tolerance, he's like, are you sure you're solving these right? Like, I mean, like, I'm sure that there's like a way, but are you solving them right? You know, <laughs> the, the one other um, note that I want to make sure that because I got a couple other minor ones, but the one that I really um, thought was really kind of cool is uh, so the the uh, turrets that you pick up, right? Um, they have all of their little lines of dialogue, like, are you still there? And, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, which, by the way, my children have started quoting, much to my terror. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. No, Lizzie does a spot on goodbye, you Oof. know? <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not great. Because the first time she did it, like, literally my heart rate increased. And I was like, what just happened? And she, she was like, yeah, from Portal, Dada. Goodbye. And I was like, okay, that's uh, that's a thing. <laughs> 
But the Wheatley cubes that are this horrible amalgam of the, the thing, they are awful sounding. They yeah. sound like they're in perpetual pain because they probably are. And it's supposed to be. It's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable and unnatural because Wheatley should not be in charge of the facility. And the fact that they gave them their old li- their own little chittering, almost um, insect-like audio is is great. Yeah. Awful. Great. <laughs> um, do you know the very first line of dialogue spoken by a turd in this game? Do you know what they say? Mm, no, the, what? The utterly terrifying. So you're you're running, you're with Wheatley, you're behind like the scenes, like in between mm-hmm. test chambers, and you are running down the um the like catwalk. And you make a turn past a broken tube that has a bunch of broken parts in it. And there Mm -hmm. is one semi-functioning turret. And as you just blaze past her, because you don't care her, see, (laughs) because they are sentient, you know, Um, as you go blazing past her, she says, wait, I'm different. Oh, that's messed up. (laughs) Right? Super messed up. Yeah. It's so messed up because it's like, oh, because these are like little little glados is like they they are like her children so she doesn't control them directly but they think and act like her because she raised them um so uh one of the things about the um the music that i thought was i don't know man i i've, I've mixed feelings about this because like our, our commentary so far has been um you know effusive like it's pr- pretty, yeah pretty glowing um i actually don't know how i feel about all of the additional music. And here's why the first game is visually and auditorily very stark, right? Aurally. Aurally. Um, you're right, actually. <laughs> and I know you're right because I remember doing that to you like a hundred episodes did. You ago. You did that exact thing to me like a year ago. And so like right when you did, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's happening. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's visually and aurally very stark in Portal 1. In Portal 2, it is visually incredibly busy and cluttered. It's also orally a lot more busy and cluttered. And I'm my problem with that, like the, the reason I don't just say like hands down success is because the presence of more noises and more atmospheric stuff is like it's it's a surgical knife, right? The presence of music and this game has music. They released a soundtrack for this game. Like this game has actual, I mean, they're, they're electronica, but they're songs. Um, Songs do a really good job of subconsciously telling you how to feel. And so there are some chambers that you go into where GLaDOS or Wheatley says like a single line and then the music immediately comes back up. Like it, it stops being ducked down. It's like, oh, I guess it's time for me to proceed, right? Like you don't cautiously wait to see if they're done talking because subconsciously you know they're done talking because the music came back up, right? And like there's a couple times where there's like these incredibly tense like chases and like things falling apart and there's like music, like movie style, like like uh, like kind of symphonic sort of music and it's all electronic. So it's like on theme, but I, I really kind of grapple with this is like, the visuals being better, like no question and improvement, right? Um, the, the dialogue being like more, but also better is like no question improvement. The music, I'm not so sure. Like I, I don't say it shouldn't be there, but it's harder to just give it like an automatic, you know, check plus thumbs up, you know, like let, let's move on to controls and mechanics. Like I, I, I like it. I enjoy this music quite a bit, but because I know 
what the portal universe feels like in this kind of silent haunting nothingness. I, I do question if it is an improvement. It's more, it's good music object. Like I think it's objectively well composed music, but I, I'm not positive. It's an improvement. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I, I can get with you that, that I wouldn't, I would say that it is personally, but objectively, I'm not sure if I could, you know, say, oh, it, it absolutely is. And you, you being uh, picky, I will say that um, the first, the first portal did leverage music when they needed your pulse to to jump, you know, because they did it with the uh, uh, before your victory candescence, yeah, um, and then during and they, the boss fight twice, and during the boss fight, right? Um, so. Uh, I would then say that there's a lot more areas in this where they need you to do that. So they they have a lot more music that does that because there's a lot more times when they're like, okay, now it's time sensitive. And you know what? I know when they're doing that because Teddy picks up on it and he doesn't because <laughs> because he he he's not at the point yet where he's like, well, if I die, I just get to try again. So whenever that music would kick on, he'd hand me the controller and say like, you do it because he knows that it's a the, chase. The cue hits sensitive. him. Yeah. Right. You know, so... um. So it's definitely relaying the information that they want to relay. Um, it does. I I would agree with you that it that the complete lack of music really helped reinforce the sterile environment. But to the point we made before is this isn't a sterile environment, you know. So I'm not sure that the deafening silence that we had in Portal One would have translated quite as well, given the you know the more of this one. But um, yeah, but definitely a point to be made. I, something I. I didn't check, but I'm not sh- I think when you are in act two underground or I mean, it's all underground, but like in the, the cave Johnson part, um, I don't think there's as much music there. I think all of the music is in the electrified modern techno mm-hmm. part because like, you know, the aerial faith plates make music, um, the uh, buttons make music, but most notably the lasers when mm-hmm. a laser is going into a laser receptacle, whatever they're called, um, that makes very clear music. Um, even crap, when you're carrying a weighted cube, there is like a gentle song that's playing like really quiet. It's really, really subtle. Um, I don't know if I would have noticed if I didn't have headphones on. Um, but there, there's just there's so much more music. But I think it may be all in the, the GLaDOS Wheatley area and not in the cave Johnson area, which if true is interesting because that means that the way you're supposed to feel emotionally is so different there that they had to dial that down to almost nothing. They don't go to 1960s music, right? It's not all friggin' big band and I don't know, Elvis. <laughs> um, it's like, it's, it's just silence, right? And the haunting, like you can hear water, water, like dripping and echoing and stuff. So that's, Huh. But anyway, yeah, it's it's good. I like it. But hands down victory. I'm not positive. The one the one final thing I'll say is that one thing that you uh, mentioned moments ago in our Portal One episode um, is uh, the fact that the person who voices GLaDOS is an opera singer. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that they end with an opera of all of the different turrets felt appropriate, you know? Um, yeah, especially they, they really let her shine. Like they let her off the chain even more. more in yeah. This one. So so they let her shine, and but I think that that they do a great job of again, like kind of like like they get one last like kind of kick in the pants for you, right? Which is a good kind of segue into me- mechanics, right? Is because you know, so 
like she's like okay just just leave right and then all of a sudden it's guns pointed at you and you're like oh no they're just gonna sing to me and they're they're sending me off they're sending me off okay good good and so you think like this is beautiful ending and you just walk out into a wheat field where there's nothing but an outhouse and then they kick your companion cube to the curb with you you know they're like like take this with you and it just ends where it's just kind of like yeah because you know and and then to to end the audio thing like because she 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 doesn't want you there now she only wants you gone but well and, uh, and a song that is as bookendy as still alive is bookendy to portal one right like God, does a so lot good. of narrative heavy lifting but you're just so like happy about it um mm-hmm. here's a little fun fact for you uh, and then this this will be my last uh, audio comment is i don't remember exactly what they're saying and i didn't look it up because you know we, we yep. have a an oath research. to uphold um yep. <laughs> but the the song that the turrets are singing to you in the end is not gibberish it's italian it's mm. a, it's an aria about right. i can't remember exactly and i will look this up later once we're done but it's it's a love song like she is mm. bidding her love farewell right which even if you don't know that because i mean it's not like i speak italian i just know because like i'm familiar with that kind of music but like even if you don't know that she in uh there's a line in uh now i only want you gone which is goodbye my only friend oh did you think i meant you that would be funny if it weren't so sad right and it's she means the companion cube that she threw out onto the surface <laughs> with you and she yeah. says um you have been replaced i don't need anyone now cuz she's talking about the co-op the mode two. where she uses the yep. robots and then this is one of my favorite like visual audio uh, things is, Oh, there were, yep. She mm-hmm. sings. Maybe when I delete you, I'll stop feeling so bad, but the, the lyrics are on screen and it says, maybe when I delete you redacted, redacted. It's just oh, like, ah, oh, so, so good. So yeah, good. And- like to be that close to turning the game off and still feeling like you're getting worthwhile narrative. <laughs> Yeah, the, the one last thing I'll say about the song, because I, I got to gush a little bit about the song, <laughs> is that my favorite line um, from that is, uh, one day they woke me up so I can live forever. It's such a shame the same will never happen to you. You know, and then that like reframes the like, like, you know, she says like, you've got your short, sad life left. That's what I'm counting on, right? Because the only lose condition she has is if you kill her, right? So she's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to kill you, right? So it's like, so what am I going to do? I'm going to let the world do it for me. You know, because all I got to do is just let you go do your thing. And then I've effectively won. And so it's just that type of mentality. I just and, and again, like to stooped in that GLaDOS's cattiness of like, it's such a shame that'll never happen to you. OK, <laughs> go die. You go know, die like, yeah, uh, um, controls and mechanics. Yeah. And um, here, here's my segue for this. No, shut up. Here's my segue for this. George, shut yeah. up. Here's my segue okay. for this. <laughs> So, uh, something so, wait, that, I'm sorry. Do you want me to, do you want me to be quiet or no, this is good. No. Keep, okay. Keep <laughs> so I mentioned, uh, the, there's like a lot of secret audio and I actually thought of this before and then forgot cause there's so much else to gush about. Um, but the puzzles in portal and portal Two do a very good job of not letting you soft lock yourself. Like mm-hmm. you can die, man, can you die? But I can't think of any place in portal one where you can soft lock yourself in portal two. There is a place you can soft lock yourself and they knew that. And so they wrote specific dialogue that Mm -hmm. you only get from GLaDOS if you soft lock yourself. And I think 
this is like an amazing distilled little nugget example of everything we've been talking about so far, because it shows that you're not that clever. They thought of everything, right? Yep. Or, you know, they certainly came close and that they're pushing the player to think so far outside the box that if you realize, wait a minute, I'm in a place where I can, I can trap myself in this room and not have the capacity to solve the puzzle that they wrote special dialogue where GLaDOS specially mocks you. And she's like, no, I know you solved it. Go ahead, go get the cube. And she lowers the wall and then you go and get it. And if you do it again, she makes fun of you a second time because they knew people would push that envelope and see what <laughs> happened. Right. And you will it's just the two after that. She doesn't talk to you anymore, but she does keep lowering the wall. But I just love that. Uh, not only do they, think of that mechanically in the level design, not only do they build a room that visually is unique, there's no other room in the entire game that has a giant glass wall on one side that you control the wall going up and down. So it tempts you into playing with it, right? Because there's portable surfaces on the inside of that room and on the outside, but you can't shoot through portals through the glass walls, but you can lower the wall, shoot portals and then go around and then screw it up, right? Like it's just, it's, it's an incredible distillation of, man, they thought of, everything oh yeah and and actually so i did know this and i don't know if this counts as research so admonish me if 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 required (laughs) um in in our portal one episode i was looking for quotes from glados to use for our patrons and because of that i did find out that there are places you can soft lock yourself in portal one because there are voice dialogues specifically for that um and it is uh, through no fault of the enrichment center, you have managed to trap yourself in this room. An escape hatch will open in three, two, one, and then it lets you out, you know? Mm. So, yeah, so I mean, like, so that that's a great carryover, right? Is that yeah. they, they, to your point, is that whenever you soft lock yourself, they don't just say, like, hey, the game player, get out. It's like, no, shell, you trapped yourself. So now we're going to open up, we're going to open up this portal or, or, or whatever. Um, yeah, so I think that that's, that's, very well done. One of the things that uh, this game does well, top to bottom, right? Because we've we've said before is that in Portal One, ninety percent of its tutorial, right? In this one, they do a great job of like, will you find a malfunctioning portal gun with Wheatley, and then Glados? Make sure you get the real one because you must really love to test. But the thing that I personally love the most about the tutorial is um, the fact that you wake up in the um, you know relaxation chamber, right? And so they they have you move around as part of your calisthenics. But my favorite part is, um, so times uh, when people for a while they they have a um, you know you were under for quite a bit longer, so there's a chance that you may have substantial brain damage. So um, <laughs> if you could just go ahead and say Apple, and it says press X, right, which is teaching you how to jump. It's like okay, so um, that's jumping. What you just did is jumping. Uh, try saying banana and jump again. It's like okay, uh, close enough. And then you know the game moves on, right? <laughs> But the fact that the game deliberately misleads you, you know, like that, to, again, because all they're trying to do is like, you, you need to know how to move in four directions. You need to know how to jump. We'll teach you the rest later. We just need to know that you know those two things, but that they don't waste your time with it. All of it steeped in the narrative is amazing. There is not a single point in this game where the game devs like look at you directly and say, player, I need this. It's all delivered in universe and that type of attention to detail is amazing when it, it's it shows because like say you somehow don't have my meme filled experience with this or you know most people's meme filled experience with this it shows that 
they prepared for someone to pick this game up knowing nothing about it. Never played a first person shooter. Don't know a goddamn thing about Half-Life. No idea what the cake is, right? Like they could realistically be coming to Portal 2 even, not just Portal, but coming to Portal 2 having never picked up a dual analog stick controller, right? And it's like, are the odds of that high? No, right? <laughs> like th- this is probably not someone's first twin stick shooter or it's not a twin stick shooter, uh, you know, du- dual analog stick shooter. Um, but it was Teddy's probably, right? Like, <laughs> so they they had to make sure that every player, as many players as possible, would feel welcome to the experience. And granted, that's the closest thing they do to handholding and it is not handholding, but they still took the time to make it feel like you're you're in the universe, you're living the story, you're not playing a game. While they're doing the world building, because they say, you know, look down at the floor, you know, like in your relaxation chamber, like look down at the floor. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> like, look at the art. You should you should now be relaxed, right? So they're kind of showing you like there's gonna be a lot of dissonance, right? You know, it's it's gonna tell you to do a thing and then like jar you around. So again, like they they're taking the time to do this world building. So they're like, while we're doing this world building that we kind of need to do anyways, let's just kind of throw a tutorial in there. So that's that's great. There's so many mechanics in this game and and the thing that i think is fascinating because in portal one they said okay it's portals right you know two two disparate places in space can be connected through a portal that's all we're going to teach you and in this one i feel like they just were like we taught people how to use portals to the point where people now say now you're thinking with portals literally my son we were on a walk and he said my right hand's my blue portal. My left hand's my red portal. And he was going pew, pew, and just like pointing at stuff. <laughs> and literally he went pew at the ground and then pew at the ground in front of a car. And he said, see, now now the car is in the seesaw. It's just going up and down. And then I was like, now you're thinking with portals, you know? That's amazing. So, right? And he's six. So, um, so again, like that's how well they're teaching it. So then I feel like that they just, be, they were like, we taught people how to think about physics differently. We are gods and so then they said how else can we screw with physics and now get people to think about physics that way like what if there was a jumping thing what if there was a thing that made you move fast what if there was light that you could redirect through a bridge what if there was a- it's just just so much and the fact that you are able to solve all of the puzzles means that they're teaching you all this how are they even doing that so here's here's how i think they do in that um <laughs> the all of the mechanics in the second and third act, mostly what you get in the second act, but then they continue to build on it throughout the third act are, I think actually very simple changes to mechanics. You already know. And you you were the one who put this idea in my head. And then I just was like, Oh, wait a minute. I bet they're doing this all (laughs) over the damn place. So you uh, said to me in, in one of our other conversations that the, uh, light bridge and mm-hmm. the gravity tunnel thing are basically the same tools. The difference is the gravity tunnel is one direction, right? The light bridge, you can freely walk on it like ground. And then the gravity tunnel is you, you get pulled um, in one direction and then it, you know, you can switch it to orange and go in the other direction, right? Which is like a hat on a hat on a hat, right? They, they add yeah. a little bit more to it. Um, I guess it's not that cause that's a, a bad thing. But anyway, um, <laughs> I was thinking about uh, that made me think about the aerial faith plate, which are tiles on the ground and you can't mm-hmm. do anything about them. They just are where they are. And then I was like, Oh, 
the aerial faith plate teaches you to think about the room in terms of its verticality, right? And then the blue gel says, okay, genius, where does the verticality need to go? Right. Yep. And then that I was like, oh, okay. Okay. So that that's like how that one evolves. And I was thinking about the orange gel and I was like, I'm not sure this one may be unique. And then it just hit me while I was typing up my notes. I was like, no, it's not. It's falling sideways. Right. Because (laughs) when you shoot a portal on the ground and you shoot a portal on the ceiling, that's how you can get momentum. Right. And then you can go flying through the air like a majestic eagle flying a pimp. But sometimes they wanted to create space over tremendous horizontal distance, especially because technologically they can make these rooms, the testing chambers like gigantic now. And so they don't want you to just have momentum. They want you to think about using that momentum to cross large distances. And because of the way gravity works, we tend to think of large distances horizontally, not vertically. And so they needed a way to make you fall fast horizontally and they do it with the orange gel. And I was like, it's the it's they literally just said like oh it's falling but sideways right the the blue gel <laughs> is just the aerial faith plates but you get to decide where it goes the 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 tunnel is just the light bridge but it only works in one direction and it's like but it that one additional quirk changes everything and it and to your point right or to to you know the the the, the dual point right because um to be fair the orange gel i hadn't thought of it that way but it's so intuitive that I did explain it that way because again, like I was explaining this to Teddy and I would say like, you need to be moving really quickly. There's two ways for you to do that. Either falling or the orange gel. Do you, can you fall in this room? And he was like, no, I'm like, then it's probably the orange gel, you know? So literally I I didn't think of it that way, but I was explaining it that way. Right. And, and to your point, right. Is that it's, is, that little kind of behind the scenes kind of thing where they're like, okay, what, cause what, what did they do? Like they, instead of just making a light bridge, right. That has arrows on it that force you to go one way. They just made it a completely different visual, right? So it feels completely different, but because they kind of know how your brain works, right. You feel like a freaking madman genius because you're like, <laughs> Oh my God, I can figure out this. And I know how this works. And I know how this works. And then when you actually sit down and think about it, it's like, actually I'm just learning they taught me how to read, and now I'm just making like like slightly different words all in the op family, right? So it's like hop, top, pop. But it's just like, look at all of these words I know. It's like, well, really, you know the op family, and you know your consonants, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, I, I think uh, in kindergarten, they call that, is it uh, CVC words, consonant, vowel, consonant words? So you're like cat, hat, bat, mat. And it's like, <laughs> that's kind of one word in a way. You, yeah. You know yeah, it's all, one it's word, all... sort of. Yeah, yeah, they, they the way and um you know everybody teaches it differently, but the way that Teddy was learning was uh the the word families, you know, mm, so yeah. like the at family, the up family, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean same same thing, right? Where it's just kind of like you know one word, and you just kind of know how to like put a new word, a new letter in front of everything. So anyway, so so yeah, no, I think that 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 is one of the key ways that they that they do teach all this stuff to you, and then what they do is they teach you each thing in isolation. They like okay, now use these two things together. Now use these two things together. And I will tell you what, there is, I don't, we, we were actually talking earlier about like, you know, your brain releasing the happy chemical and man, <laughs> which out is, of context sounds super messed up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, you, you, you want your, your brain to say like, Hey, good, good job, monkey. Do more of that. Right. So the frequency at which this game can give you that aha moment is staggering because basically what they do is they're like okay 
here's here's a new mechanic. You're like, oh, okay, I, I think I got that. And then right when you get comfortable with it, they're like, okay, now 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 use these two mechanics. Now now we taught you A, we taught you B in isolation. Now use A and B together. Cool, you got that. Good. Now here's C. Now use A and C. Now use B and C. You've mastered all of that. Good. Now use A, B, and C. And so, but you don't really think of it that way. You're just like, oh wait, like I mean, I know that when I um, because they taught you that that if you put blue gel on a thing, it makes the thing bouncy, right? So in that one room, when much later, when you're with Wheatley, right, and you're using the anti-grav chamber, right, to then get blue goo over all of the turrets that are shooting you, and then you release it all at once, and they bounce all over the place. <laughs> I'm like, I am a golden god, you know? Like it just makes you feel so good. Um, so yeah, so the fact that they're able to like distill that human emotion and then deliver it. I mean, what, like 98, hundred times in the game is really impressive. I was thinking about what you might call like escalating mechanics, right? So mm-hmm. like th- this thing builds onto that thing, right? I mean, this is basic game design, but like it's because of the nature of the game, it's so in your face, right? Like mm-hmm. you're doing this. Now here is a harder puzzle. Now here is a harder puzzle, right? Like Mario games also do that, but they, they're they like a little more subtle about it because it's not yeah. supposed to feel like you're in a laboratory. Um, this game has a set of chambers toward the very end of act two that you need to know to beat the game in act three. And narratively, it makes sense the way they do it. But I think mechanically, it's kind of their swan song. It really feels like these, I think it's two, maybe three chambers is their way of saying, we're not going to do more after this because this (laughs) is the logical conclusion and doing more than this will be annoying. And here's what it is. When you first find out that, uh, the portable surfaces are made out of ground up moon rocks and they are super cancerous. The next thing they do is they put you into a room where you have to put portals down to put the gel onto surfaces to make those surfaces portable. So -hmm. what they do is they put you into a big grimy room because you're still in like the underground part and they just kind of go, all right, smart guy, where would you have to be able to portal to solve this puzzle? Right? Because we talked about in portal one and they do this throughout the first, you know, 70% of portal two is they use the environment to say, well, you can't portal everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So the places you can put portals must be related or are probably related to solving the puzzle. Maybe it's not the very next step you need, but you're going to need it in two steps or five steps or whatever. So the fact that they put you, I think literally only twice into a space where they say like, okay, smart guy, you need to get out of this room. Where, where would you need to be able to portal now make those surfaces portable. And if they continued to extrapolate on that, I think the game would either get stupid, like stupid hard, or it would be so confusing as to not give you the happy chemical. It would give it, it would increase the likelihood of giving you the like, Oh, come on. Like, like, Oh, that's dumb. Right. And, and that risk is not one. I think they are interested in taking because they're not trying to trick you. They're trying to spoon feed you the answer and make you think you fed yourself. Right. Like, which is awesome. I love that feeling. I love feeling like I'm smart. That's a great feeling. So, so, 
I don't actually want super, super hard puzzles because that's not actually what I'm here for. I'm here for the narrative and for kind of hard puzzles that, you know, make me feel like I deserve a pat on the head. If I wanted super hard puzzles, I would like try to become a go or a chess master because that's that's why I don't really love those things because <laughs> they scratch a very different itch for people. And and so I, I think the fact that they uh, put those puzzles there toward the very end of the game and then they kind of dial that back and you spend a little time like going through the Wheatley puzzles where there's almost none of that. In fact, mm-hmm. I think there is none of that. But then, of course, when you fight Wheatley, that's when you have to throw the portable gel around first. And then you also use the repulsor gel and the accelerator gel. And it's in pretty obvious ways. But again, the point is for you to feel smart, not for Mm -hmm. it to be a super complicated puzzle. Like that just gave me this weird kind of sense of closure. Cause I was like, Oh, they did it. They did the thing that would make portal so hard. It's no longer fun. And they give it to you in just a small enough sample. Right. It's like, it's like a, if if the the heroin drip right the morphine drip gives you like that kind of a little bit too much happy feeling that showing you what it would be like if you had to build all your own portable surfaces is like an endless field of poppy seeds it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's neat in theory you don't actually want to go there and put all of that in you you'll die <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. just feel like you know look upon it and then go kill wheatley and go about your life you know what it is, and this is this is slightly tangential, and I agree with you hundred percent. Is um, is to me, it's one of the one of my favorite movies is uh, Logan because I think it's just an an excellent end to Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, right? Absolutely. But one, yeah, but one of the things that they do that I thought was like a to me was like looking directly at the audience was they they had X twenty four whatever you know like the 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 Wolverine, which is a CGI version of. Logan, right? Because theoretically, you know, Logan doesn't age, right? You know, so it's like, is this what you want? Do you want a CGI'd mess of just, you know, like him being this immortal 36-year-old for the rest of his life? Like, no, you don't want that. You know, so it's 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 that, right? Where they're like, Yeah, can we do it? Yeah, but if you if you had a Goku that could beat Superman, would you even want him? You know, it's <laughs> it's that. So um agreed hundred percent. And I think to your point of it being their swan songs one narratively it's it's closed in a very very nice way now if if this this particular drug dealer said you want a portal 3 i'd be like yes i do i mean probably not but i i will pay you for that yeah um that being said is that uh i think that to your point is that they kind of pushed it into one player mode as far as they could and they said like oh what if we gave you four portals instead of two and so they gave you a co-op mode and there's like 40 some on puzzles with that right and then uh and and I'm not through that yet because I think that there is actually a narr- narrative there that I'm curious that how that goes. Um, yeah. So so uh, let me interrupt you for just one second. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to do a rare plug for the after show. Um, I want to talk to you about the co-op mode in the after show, and I promised I wouldn't drag that into the Portal Two episode because it is a very separate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we will spend at least a portion of the after show talking about the co-op mode which is their way of cheating and not having to go to the logical conclusion of, okay, smart guy, where you put more portals? No, just more portals, right? right. So um, we will talk about that in the after show, which you can get by becoming a patron for just as little as $1 a month. One, now, one buck. Yeah, one buck. Now yeah. you can finish your thing. But basically the idea being is it's, is it's like, okay, so, you know, four portals. What what new, interesting, fun stuff can you do with four portals, right? Six portals is going to get... Because again, like this isn't, you know, uh, what is it, Fortnite, where it's just a battle royale <laughs> of portals, right? Like they've got to make... Royale. 
yeah, they've got to make these puzzles, right? So they're like, all righty, what if we made it a bit more complicated and put in four four portals? All right. But that's that's basically as far as we can reasonably push this mechanic, to your point, before it starts to get either samey or it gets like, you know, frustratingly complex, right? So it's like, this is it. We've, we tied it up narratively. We've pushed this mechanic as far as it can reasonably go. We're, we're done. We're good. Don't don't ask us. Don't don't Half-Life 3 this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Portal 2 came out in 2011. And if you add 2 to 11, the last digit is 3. Half-Life 3 confirmed. I knew it. <laughs> uh, honestly, I mean, like we, we've kind of uh, talked a lot about the mechanics, but to me, like the, um, you know, the, the a lot of my notes were in, in kind of the visual differences. Um, mechanically, I think that the big thing that they hit on is just the way that they can literally make you think about physics in a different way that I think is worth speaking to. So honestly, I didn't really have a whole lot of notes for mechanics because I think that's the, the, the big one. Yeah. And, and because it's the, the mechanics are another in the, the checklist of more, right. But it's, Mm -hmm. it's more gracefully, right. There's, there's gracefully more visuals. There's gracefully more audio. There's gracefully more mechanics, right? Like they do add what seems on the surface like a thousand more mechanics, but really they added mod- they added like two or three new mechanics and then two or three modifications to those that subconsciously you probably will put together pretty easily, but you'll feel super smart when you do it, right? So like it's it's a very graceful way to make it feel like there's more. Oh my God, there's so much more, but it's like, no, there's not as much more as you think, but they gave it to you in a way that made it feel really voluminous which is an important trick to play for mechanics because if you feel like you mastered a game with a thousand complex mechanics man do you feel smart if you feel like you mastered a game with three mechanics and three variations on those mechanics and you're like well that's not that much right yeah okay, so like, whatever it's an important trick to pull um the, the one final thing I, I i didn't write my notes but i did want to mention because we kind of discussed it but i think it's worth mentioning is that there are a couple of times when, because um, this game was made for every platform that you can imagine, you know, except for the fact that they then didn't make it for the PS4 or the PS5 or any of the yeah, later ones, at, right? At release time, it had a at release. release. Time, it, it was made for everything. I would still, so, so that, that's a, a, a tall order for anyone, but I will say that there's, I, I would probably guess that the bulk of their playtesting was done on a computer because there are a couple of times where we kind of discussed where, you have to move, especially on the um, the acceleration gel, you have to move incredibly quickly in exactly one direction, you know? So, like, if you're wiggling on that analog stick a little bit, you're, you're not going to thread the needle like you need to. But to your point is if you just hold up on the up button, it does it perfectly every time. And so it wasn't until you said that was like, oh, that's that's the issue, is that if you've got a keyboard input, it's no, no sweat. If you've got an analog stick input, it's a, it's a problem. Big, big sweat. Yep, lots of sweat. But uh, I did want to make sure that we mentioned that because I think that's one of the first times where I was like, oh, the the input device super matters here. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, to be, you know, to be fair to a game that we've showered with a lot of glowing praise that it deserves, that is one thing that you could argue they were, because Valve is very much a PC gaming company, right? Like they release some of their games on other systems, but they are a PC gaming company more than they're anything else. And you can feel that only, what would you say, like three, maybe four times? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it, is, it is very rare. Yeah. 
it's not a lot, but it's bad enough. And I, I think I may have shared this with you, but it's bad enough that on my first playthrough, there were a couple puzzles where I got stuck because I found out the left analog stick on the controller I was using was broken. And so I couldn't <laughs> do a true straight north like directly in front of me, which meant as far as the game was concerned, I was not moving as fast as I could be, which made a couple of puzzles straight up impossible. So yep. fortunately I was playing on PC, so I was able to switch keyboard and mouse and then I had another controller to use. But like if you were just playing on an Xbox or on a PlayStation three, like, and your controller didn't quite work like that, that would be instantly experience shattering, right? I'm sure that that did not happen to most people. The controller that I was using that was broken is a very old controller, but like that is a risk that they decided they were willing to run. All that being said, uh, I mean, if, if people couldn't guess, uh, do you, do you, is this game worth a play? Uh, it's, it's worth a play, but uh, I have a curveball to throw you. Um, uh-huh. The more I have thought about this, the more committed I am to the idea that portal portal two and portal two co-op is actually one long game. Mm-hmm. It is one long game narratively and it is one long game mechanically, right? Portal is the prologue to Portal 2, which is the actual game, and mm-hmm. then Portal 2 co-op is the epilogue. And I I would say with a pretty high level of confidence that anyone who is playing this game for the first time play them like that. Play Mm -hmm. Portal as the prologue to this, then play the game, Portal 2, and then play Portal 2 co-op and do that. Don't binge it, but do that in a relatively small amount of time. Treat it like I'm going to watch all three Lord of the Rings movies, right? Like, yes, it is a huge investment, but narratively, when you get to the end of Fellowship, you don't really have a lot of closure. When you get to the (laughs) end of Portal 1, there is a ton of closure, but you want more. Right. Yep. And man, does portal Two have a lot of more in it. Right. But you won't have the satisfying pants crapping moments with GLaDOS. If you don't have. That, oh yeah. That prologue, you need it. Right. You, you have to play portal. I mean, like, you know, whenever somebody's like, Oh, you have to watch, I mean, you know, you do, do whatever you want, live your lives. But uh, yeah, no, it, it, <laughs> it, uh, it, it, I would say that the experience is inexorably lessened. If you just jump straight into portal Two. Yeah. And then Portal 2 co-op, granted, it does require a second player, although I think you can cheat it with one person, but it's like so mind-bogglingly hard, it's not worth it. Um, Portal 2 co-op has a narrative bookend that is as satisfying as the narrative bookends you get at the end of Portal and Portal 2, but that feel feels more conclusive. Like, they're not just like, oh, you know, to be continued in Portal 3. Like, it really ties everything up in that last little it's it's the mint at the end of the meal right like is the meal still is portal 2 still delicious without portal 2 co-op like yes 100 percent. do you enjoy the mint yeah you do so eat it right like so i play this game yes no nostalgia goggles required this game learned from history it's amazing everyone should play it because it's just absolutely a fantastic art object and pop culture artifact and just video game it's a great great game I would seriously recommend though, you got to do the full extended edition Lord of the Rings. You you have to do portal portal Two, portal Two co-op, especially if you don't feel like you're going to go back to this. Like if you're only going to do it once, you would better goddamn well do it right. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, 
obviously I, I'm not going to get it. It's, eh, it was all right. <laughs> I want to be a guy on like Steam where it's like 1300 hours played and the review is like, it's okay. <laughs> like literally, I, you know, because it does tell you how many hours you played. I, I know that I've put 40 hours, a full work week um, into this game. And again, not only is the game that does it learn from everything is this is a game that is I believe if you know how to move with a dual analog stick, like that's the only barrier to entry on this game, which I'm sure most of our listeners would be like, whatever, hand your parents a dual analog (laughs) stick controller and Minecraft and just just record that, man. I mean, so it is a skill that needs to be learned. But if you have that skill, then literally you can be six years old and you can play through this game. You know, like there's no, there's no barrier to entry on this. And honestly, it's a, it's, it's just, it's a delight. Um, And it's, it's completely uh, it's, it's, it's bingeable. You can sit there and play it over and over again and, you know, like see how fast you can do the puzzles, see if you can do them in fewer portals, see if, I mean, and actually literally there's a port, uh, there's a puzzle in the game that Teddy has now played through the game multiple times. He consistently solves it arguably wrong, but it works. You know, like he did, he did a thing and I was like, oh no, buddy, you're going to have to put a portal there and you're going to have to do this other thing. He went, no. And he just did it completely differently. And I was like, I, I mean, I guess that works. That Go for it, man. So it's, it's just great. So, I mean, like, like the, the moral of this story is you've got your portal, take it. That's what I'm counting on. The curtain falls. The music plays, the credits roll, then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself, the fanfare is gone. There's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, A few great events leak back into your head From the time that you spent Traversing the land Battling evil, fighting the darkness Just sword in hand Your memories creep in With the edge of a smile You realize again What you lost for a while Gonna think back much less on how you saved the day. 